0: Part 5, Book 1 of From the Founding of the City, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Harrington. From the Foundation of the City, Volume 1 by Titus Livius. Translated by George Baker. Book 1, Part 5. When all was over, the Alban troops, who had been spectators of the engagement, marched down into the plain, and Metius congratulated Tullus on his victory over the enemy. Tullus answered him, without showing any sign of displeasure, and gave orders that the Albans should, with the favor of fortune, join their camp with that of the Romans, and appointed a sacrifice of purification to be performed next day. As soon as it was light, all things being prepared in the usual manner he commanded both armies to be summoned to an assembly the heralds beginning at the outside summoned the albans first and they struck with the novelty of the affair and wishing to hear the roman king delivering a speech took their places nearest to him the roman troops under arms pursuant to directions previously given formed a circle round them and a charge was given to the centurions to execute without delay such orders as they should receive. Then Tullus began in this manner. If ever, Romans, there has hitherto occurred at any time or in any war an occasion that called on you to return thanks first to the immortal gods and next to your own valor, it was the battle of yesterday. For ye had to struggle not only with your enemies, but what is a more difficult and dangerous struggle, with the treachery and perfidy of your allies, for I will now undeceive you. It was not by my order that the Albans withdrew to the mountains, nor was what ye heard me say, the issuing of orders, but a stratagem, and a pretext of having given orders, to the end that while you were kept in ignorance of your being deserted, your attention might not be drawn away from the fight and that, at the same time, the enemy, believing themselves to be surrounded on the rear, might be struck with terror and dismay. But the guilt which I am exposing to you extends not to all the Albans. They followed their leader, as ye would have done, had I chosen that the army should make any movement from the ground which it occupied. Metius there was the leader of that march. The same Medius was the schemer of this war. Medius, it was who broke the league between the Romans and Albans. May others dare to commit like crimes if I do not now make him a conspicuous example to all mankind. On this, the centurions in arms gathered round Medius, and the king proceeded in his discourse. Albans, be the measure prosperous, fortunate, and happy to the Roman people, to me and to you. It is my intention to remove the entire people of Alba to Rome, to give the commons the privileges of citizens, and to enroll the principal inhabitants among the fathers, to form of the whole one city, one republic. As the state of Alba, from being one people, was heretofore divided into two, so let these be now reunited." On hearing this, the Alban youth who were unarmed and surrounded by armed troops, however different their sentiments were, yet being all restrained by the same apprehensions, kept a profound silence. Tullus then said, Medius Fufetius, if you were capable of learning to preserve faith and a regard to treaties, I should suffer you to live and supply you with instructions. But your disposition is incurable. Let your punishment then teach mankind to consider those things as sacred, which you have dared to violate. As, therefore, you lately kept your mind divided between the interest of the Phidonations and of the Romans, so shall you now have your body divided and torn in pieces. Then two chariots being brought, each drawn by four horses, he tied Medius extended at full length to the carriages of them, and the horses being driven violently in different directions bore away on each carriage part of his mangled body with the limbs which were fastened by the cords. The eyes of all were turned with horror from this shocking spectacle. This was the first and the last instance among the Romans of any punishment inflicted without regard to the laws of humanity. In every other case, we may justly boast that no nation in the world has shown greater mildness. During these proceedings, the cavalry had been sent forward to Alba to remove the multitude to Rome. The legions were now led thither to demolish the city, as soon as they entered the gates, there ensued not a tumult or panic, as is usual in cities taken by storm, where the gates being burst open, or the walls leveled by the ram, or the citadel being taken by force, the shouts of the enemy, and the troops running furiously through the city, throw all into confusion with fire and sword. But gloomy silence and dumb sorrow so stupefied the inhabitants that, not knowing in their distraction what to leave behind or what to carry with them, and incapable of forming any plan, they stood at their doors, making inquiries of each other or wandered through their own houses, which they were now to see for the last time. But now, when the horsemen with shouts urged them to depart and the crash of the houses, which the troops were demolishing in the outer parts of the city, assailed their ears, and the dust raised in distant places had filled all parts, enveloping them as with a cloud, each of them hastily snatching up whatever he could and leaving behind his guardian deity, his household gods, and the house wherein he had been born and educated. They began their departure and soon filled the roads with one continued troop of emigrants. The sight of each other continually renewed their tears through the mutual commiseration which it excited in every breast their ears were assailed with bitter lamentations especially from the women as they passed the temples which they had been used to revere now filled with armed soldiers and reflected that they were leaving their gods as it were in captivity when the albans had evacuated the city the Romans leveled to the ground all the buildings in every part of it, both public and private, and in one hour ruined and destroyed the work of 400 years, during which Alba had stood. The temples of the gods, however, they left untouched, for so the king had commanded. Meanwhile, from this destruction of Alba, Rome received a considerable augmentation. The number of citizens was doubled. The Caelian Mount was added to the city, and in order to induce others to fix their habitations there, Tullus chose that situation for his palace, where from thenceforth he resided. The persons of chief note among the Albans, the Tulli'i, Servili'i, Quinti'i, Gagani'i, Curiatii, Cloili'i, he enrolled among the senators that this part of the state also might receive an addition. And, as a consecrated place of meeting for this body, thus augmented, he built a Senate house which retained the name of Hostilia, even within the memory of our fathers. And that every order in the state might receive an accession of strength from this new people, he chose from among the Albans ten troops of horsemen. From among them also he drew recruits, with which he both filled up the old and formed some new legions." encouraged by this formidable state of his forces he declared war against the sabines a nation the most powerful of that age next to the etrurians both in point of numbers and of skill in arms injuries had been offered on both sides and satisfaction demanded in vain Tullus complained that some roman traders had been seized in an open fair at the temple of Feronia the Sabines, that prior to this, some of their people had fled into the asylum and were detained at Rome. These were the reasons assigned for the war. The Sabines, reflecting that a great part of their original strength had been fixed at Rome by Tatius, and that the Roman power had been also lately increased by the accession of the people of Alba, took care on their part to look round for foreign aid, Etruria lay in their neighborhood, and the state of the Etrurians nearest to them was that of the Veientians. From among these they procured a number of volunteers, who were induced to take part against the Romans, principally by the resentment which they still retained on account of their former quarrels. Several also of the populace, who were indigent and unprovided of a settlement, were allured by pay. From the government they received no assistance, and the Veientians for it was less surprising in others, adhered to the terms of the truce stipulated with Romulus. Vigorous preparations being made on both sides and it being evident that whichever party should first commence hostilities would have considerably the advantage, Tullus seized the opportunity of making an incursion into the lands of the Sabines. A furious battle ensued at the wood called Melitiosa, in which the Romans obtained the victory. For this, they were indebted not only to the firm strength of their infantry, but chiefly to the cavalry, which had been lately augmented, since, by a sudden charge of this body, the ranks of the Sabines were thrown into such disorder that they were neither able to continue the fight nor to make good their retreat without great slaughter. After the defeat of the Sabines, the government of Tullus and the Roman state in general possessed a large degree of power and of fame. At this time, an account was brought to the king and the senate that a shower of stones had fallen on the Alban Mount. This appearing scarcely credible, and some persons being sent to examine into the prodigy, there fell from the air in their sight a vast quantity of stones like a storm of hail. They imagined also that they heard a loud voice from the grove on the summit of the hill ordering that the Albans should perform religious rites according to the practice of their native country. These the Albans had entirely neglected, as if, with their country, they had also abandoned its deities and had adopted the Roman practice, or perhaps, incensed against fortune, had renounced the worship of the gods. On account of the same prodigy, the Romans also instituted for themselves, by order of government, a festival of nine days, either in obedience to a voice from heaven uttered on the Alban Mount, for that likewise is mentioned, or by direction of the Haraspices. Be this as it may, it is certain that whenever an account was received of a similar phenomenon, a festival for nine days was celebrated. In a short time after, the country was afflicted with a pestilence, and though this necessarily rendered men averse to military service, yet the king, in himself fond of war, and persuaded that young men enjoyed better health while employed abroad than when loitering at home, gave them no rest from arms until he was seized by a tedious disorder. Then, together with the strength of his body, the fierceness of his spirit was reduced to such a degree that he, who, lately, thought nothing less becoming a king than to busy his thoughts in matters of religion, became at once a slave to every kind of superstition, in cases either of great or of trifling import, and even filled the minds of the people also with superstitious notions. The generality, comparing the present state of their affairs with that which they had enjoyed under Numa, became possessed of an opinion that the only prospect left them of being relieved from the sickness was in obtaining pardon and favor from the gods. It is said that the king himself, turning over the commentaries of Numa and discovering therein that certain sacrifices of a secret and solemn nature had been performed to Jupiter Elichius, shut himself up and set about the performance of this solemnity, but... Not having undertaken or conducted the rites in due form, he not only failed of obtaining any notification from the gods, but, through the resentment of Jupiter for being addressed in an improper manner, was struck with lightning and reduced to ashes, together with his house. Tullus reigned 32 years, highly renowned for his military achievements. On the death of Tullus, the direction of affairs, according to the mode adopted from the beginning, fell into the hands of the Senate. They nominated an Interrex who presided at the election when the people created Ancus Martius, king, and the Senate approved of their choice. Ancus Martius was the grandson of Numa Pompilius by his daughter. As soon as he was in possession of the throne, reflecting on the glory which his grandfather had acquired and considering that the late reign though highly honorable in other respects, yet in one particular had been very deficient, the affairs of religion having been either quite neglected or improperly managed. He judged it to be a matter of the utmost consequence to provide that the public worship should be performed in the manner instituted by Numa, and ordered the pontiff to make a transcript of every particular rite from the commentaries of that king on white tables and to expose it to the view of the people. From these proceedings, not only his subjects whose wishes tended to peace, but the neighboring states also conceived hopes that the king would conform himself to the manners and institutions of his grandfather. In consequence of which the Latines, with whom a treaty had been concluded in the reign of Tullus, assumed new courage and made an incursion into the Roman territories and when the Romans demanded satisfaction, returned a haughty answer, imagining the Roman king so averse to action that he would spend his reign among the chapels and altars. The genius of Ancus was of a middle kind, partaking both of that of Numa and of Romulus. He was sensible, not only that peace had been more necessary in the reign of his grandfather to a people who were but lately incorporated and still uncivilized, but also that the tranquility which had obtained at that time could not now be preserved without a tame submission to injuries, that they were making a trial of his patience and would soon come to despise it. In short, that the times required a king like Tullus rather than one like Numa. However, being desirous that, as Numa had instituted the religious rites to be observed in time of peace, so the ceremonies to be observed in war should have himself for their founder, and that wars should not only be waged but be proclaimed likewise according to a certain established mode he borrowed from the ancient race of the Iquicoli, that form of demanding satisfaction which is still used by the heralds. The ambassador, when he comes to the frontiers of the state, from whom satisfaction is demanded, having his head covered with a fillet of wool, says, O Jupiter, hear me. Hear ye, frontiers, naming the state to which they belong. Let justice hear. I am a public messenger of the Roman people. I come an ambassador duly authorized according to the forms of justice and religion. Let my words, therefore, meet with credit. He then makes his demands and afterwards appeals to Jupiter. If I demand that those persons and those effects should be given up to me, the messenger of the Roman people, contrary to justice and the law of nations, then suffer me not to enjoy my native country. These words he repeats when he passes over the boundaries. The same to the first person that he meets again when he enters the gate and lastly, when he enters the forum only making the necessary change of a few words in the form of the declaration and of the oath. If the persons whom he demands are not given up, then, on the expiration of 33 days, that being the number enjoined by the rule, he declares war in this manner. O Jupiter, hear me, and thou, Juno, Quirinus, and all ye gods of heaven, and ye of the earth, and ye of the infernal regions, hear, I call you to witness that the people, naming them, whoever they are, are unjust and do not perform what equity requires. But concerning those affairs, we will consult the elders in our own country by what means we may obtain our right. After this, the messenger returned to Rome in order that the opinion of the government might be taken. The king immediately consulted the Senate, nearly in these words. Concerning those matters, controversies, and arguments which were agitated between the pater patratus of the Roman people, the Quirites, and the pater patratus of the ancient Latins and the ancient Latin people, which matters ought to have been granted, performed, and discharged, but which they have neither granted, performed, nor discharged, declare, said he to the person whose vote he first asked, what is your opinion? The other then said, i am of opinion that the performance of them ought to be exacted in just and regular war wherefore i consent to and vote for it the rest were then asked in order and the majority of those present being of the same opinion a vote passed for war it was a customary practice for the herald to carry a spear pointed with steel or burnt at the point and dipped in blood to the frontiers and there in the presence of at least three grown-up persons to say for as much as the states of the ancient Latins and the ancient Latin people have acted against and behaved unjustly towards the Roman people, the Quirites; for as much as the Roman people, the Quirites, have ordered that there should be a war with the ancient Latins and the Senate of the Roman people, the Quirites, have given their opinion, consented, and voted that war should be made with the ancient Latines. Therefore I and the Roman people do declare and make war against the states of the ancient Latins and the ancient Latin people. And saying this, he threw the spear within their boundaries. In this manner was satisfaction demanded from the Latins at that time, and war declared. Succeeding generations adopted the same method. Ancus, having committed the care of religious affairs to the flamens and other priests, assembled a new army, set out to the war, and took Pollatorium, a city of the Latines, by storm. Then, pursuing the practice of former kings who had augmented the power of the Roman state by receiving enemies into the number of their citizens, he removed the whole multitude to Rome, and, as the original Romans entirely occupied the ground round the Palladium, the Sabines, the capital with the citadel, and the Albans, the Caelian mount, the Aventine was assigned to this body of new citizens. And in a little time after, on the reduction of Telenae and Facana, an additional number of inhabitants were settled in the same place. Politorium was soon after attacked, a second time by the Roman forces, the ancient Latines having taken possession of it when left without inhabitants and this induced the Romans to demolish that city that it might not again serve as a receptacle for the enemy. At length, the whole force of the Latin War was collected about Medulia, and the contest was carried on there with various success, for the city was not only well defended by works and secured by a strong garrison, but the army of the Latines, having pitched their camp in the open country, fought the Romans several times in close engagement. At last, Ancus, making a vigorous effort with all his force, first defeated them in the field and then made himself master of the city from whence he returned with immense booty to Rome. On this occasion, too, many thousands of the Latins, being admitted into the number of citizens, had ground allotted to them near the temple of Mercia, in order to unite the Aventine to the Palatine Hill. The geniculum also was taken in, not for want of room, but to prevent its serving at any time as a place of strength to an enemy. And it was determined that this should be joined to the city not only by a wall, but likewise for the convenience of passage by a wooden bridge, which was then first built over the Tiber. The Coritian Trench also, no inconsiderable defense to those parts, which from their low situation are of easy access, is a work of King Ancus in consequence of these vast accessions to the state and the numbers of people becoming so very large many disregarding the distinctions between right and wrong committed various crimes and escaped discovery in order to suppress by terror the boldness which the vicious assumed from hence and which gained ground continually a prison was built in the middle of the city adjoining the forum and not only the city but the territory also and boundaries of the state were extended by this king. The Mesian forest was taken away from the Vayentchins, the Roman dominion extended as far as the sea, and the city of Ostia built at the mouth of the Tiber, near which salt pits were formed. And in consequence of the glorious success obtained in war, the temple of Jupiter Feretrius was enlarged. End of Book One, Part Five.